Well, first of all, I do appreciate Jason filling in for me. Um, I was in Texas taking care of grandchildren, so um, made a quick trip. Glad to be back, and I really appreciate what he did. Bruce said that that last week when I was gone, we really had a good teacher. He hadn't seen the other teacher in a while, so Bruce didn't hear that I can harass him. If you look up at the slides, I've put the word murmur. That's a word that probably we don't use every day. But if I was to ask you, how would you define that, say, in one word or any way you want to do it, how would you define murmur or murmuring? Complaining? Anything else? Griping? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. What was that? Go ahead. I think it usually comes with the idea of doing it without the person you're complaining about knowing you're the one doing it. Kind of like, kind of, kind of like secret, talking among themselves. That's a good, good point. Comes real close to like gossip, isn't it? Exactly what you said. Um, different dictionaries say uh, different lexicons complain to show one obstinate, stubborn, or to rebel. When the children of Israel murmured, who were they really murmuring against? Even though, yeah, it was God, even though it was Moses and Aaron most of the time when we're going to be talking about. But they, they missed the whole issue here, didn't they? They forgot that they were murmuring against God Almighty. When you go back and look at some of the murmuring, if you remember when uh, they sent out the spies and the spies came back and the very last verse, I think, of, of Numbers 13, they said that we were like grasshoppers and we've seen lessons that's called grasshopper faith. But in the King James Version, it says all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. So here's a group of people, a lot of people. They've seen all these miracles that Moses has done through God. And who do they come after? They come out after the wrong people, don't they? When you go a little farther, it says in, in verse 36, God has already told what he's going to do with these people and how he's going to punish them. And after that, this is what he says, And the men which Moses sent to search the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, what happened to those men? Do you remember? They died. But here is a situation, and I'm just, I'm just choosing two, where these people constantly complained, didn't they? And when we do that, are we really looking for a solution? <laughs> no, we're looking for somebody to blame, aren't we? And that's what they were doing. When you look at number 16, and Jason talked about this, it says, For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord, and what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? 
If you remember when Jason did Cora, Dathan, and Abiram, here they said you take too much on yourself. You know, we're all children of God. We're all the chosen people, and you take too much on yourself. And, and they murmured against him. Then when you come in a little farther, but on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. When Jason went over the lesson, remember, Moses said, stay back from those tents, didn't he, of those guys. And he, and he says, you don't need to be part of this. And they were swallowed up, weren't they? Pretty tough to see all these group of people swallowed up. Now the people start over again and say, you've killed the Lord's people. When we think of this murmuring, the way that they're approaching it, here's been a rebellion. Here's been the 10 spies that are, have given an evil report. And the people are reacting emotionally to what's being said rather than remembering that God told them to go out and look at the land, what? Which I will give you. Isn't that it? I'm paraphrasing maybe. So they forgot. They forgot God in all this. I found this in, in an article, but it didn't say who the author was. It says, murmurers, complainers are rarely satisfied by evidence of the resolution of one issue. Complainers are not issue motivated, though they claim to be and appear to be. They are heart motivated. They murmur because they have complaining, discontent hearts. The complaining heart is demonstrated when people murmur about one issue after another and the bottom line is what? They're never satisfied, are they? And probably every one of us has been around somebody that murmurs or they're not happy about something, and they're never happy, are they? It's the old story that even if I gave you a Cadillac, you wouldn't like the color, right? So here's an issue that says... This is a heart issue. It's a heart problem, isn't it, with this discontent, with this complaining. And that can kind of relate to us, can it? It's a little bit like the lesson we had Sunday night, that we need to think about what we're doing and who's in charge, don't we? And think about what he does when he is approached with issues, Christ and think about it, are we really in a position to complain as well off as we are? Probably not. Any comments so far? Well, as we come into this lesson, I titled it, Use the Rod to Address Complaining. We're told that they're supposed to take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. And when they take these rods, they're to be, and this is out of the King James Version again, of all their princes, write everyone's name upon it. So they're going to take 
because of the grumbling and everything else and grumbling against Aaron, the Lord's going to pick the boss, isn't he? The Lord's going to pick who the priest is. But the sad part of it is in Exodus, we were told who the priests were, were didn't we? We're told that how he chose them. So what's the problem? The problem is they don't like it, do they? That sometimes when leadership is there, you want to have a leader, but you don't want to have them, you know, stepping on my toes. So the Lord says, I'm going to take care of this murmuring. I'm going to get some of the top guys from each of the tribes, and he's going to bring his rod. What's the importance of those rods? Are they just a stick, like we'll just go out here and get a stick from a bush? It's symbolic of the leadership, isn't it? These are probably, they probably already have their name on them, be honest with you. There's something that they relate, like we talked about banners, relating to that particular tribe that you probably, when you could see that particular rod, well, that's, you know, the rod of Aaron. So as they take these rods... What's he going to do with them? I mean, why did he choose the rod from each tribe? Are we really told? When he chooses these rods, he is getting a representation of the princes and the top brass from every tribe, right? So you can't say, well, we left out Levi. We left out this one. We left out Judah. All of them are there. All of them are in the same category, aren't they? Well, when you look at the rod, it talks about it being a branch, uh, like extending or a tribe or, or chastening. We talked about that when we did Proverbs, spare the rod, spoil the child. Ruling like a scepter, like Nate said, or a walking staff. But these aren't like what a shepherd carried. These are symbols of authority, aren't they? And we see as part of this that it says, you'll write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. Now we already know Aaron's group has been chosen. They've set up what clothes they're going to wear. They've set up the tabernacle in Exodus and different things like this. But the Lord says, you're still murmuring. You're still giving us problems. I'm going to fix it once and for all. I'm going to tell you who the priest is. Any comments? Well, when you look at these rods and you go back a little bit in history, um, we see rods already being talked about. In Exodus 4, 2, the Lord says, what's in your hand? And what did Moses say? Well, it's a rod. And he tells him he can throw it down, can he? Well, and Moses, after this is over with, it's called the rod of God because he's getting ready to go back into Egypt, bring the people out, right? Also, 
In Exodus 7, 9, it say to Aaron, take your rod, cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So a rod was an important part of what God expected from Aaron and Moses. Would you agree? And that their use of that rod was important to what they were doing and what the result was. Well, in Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10, the rod is used with these plagues as you read it. I didn't put all the verses down. And also, when you um, see in Exodus 14, God commanded Moses to raise the rod over the Red Sea when it was parted. So here is the rod again as we know the importance of them going through. In Exodus 17.9, he raised the rod. Remember, he had her, H-U-R, holding up one hand and who was holding up the other? Aaron, wasn't he? If his hands fell down, the Israelites would lose, right? He got tired and they held up his hand or held up the rod. Also, we know, and we'll study this a little bit later, there was a rod that struck the rock, right? So the rod was not just some piece of stick, but was the rod alive? Was it a living branch? It wasn't, was it? So here were these rods that they're carrying. They don't have any life in them, do they? I mean, maybe if they're brand new, they might have some kind of life in them still. They might, as we call it, green. But here these rods did important things for Moses and Aaron. When you look at this and you do a little bit of comparison... The rod that was put in there, and we get to it, it bore fruit. And what was the fruit that Aaron's rod bore? An almond. And when we think of that, it blossoms, it buds, and then there's fruit, is there? So it's alive, isn't it? I mean, it looks alive. The second thing is... His rod was the only one that budded, didn't it? The rest of the rods didn't. So he was distinguished compared to all the other 12 princes as the leader or as God's chosen is what we'll talk about. He was the object of, of God's favor and the priesthood was confirmed and there was a lasting remembrance So here is God through the miraculous part with this rod. This rod is put in the tabernacle with the other rods. They bring it out. It has almonds on it. And here it's confirming what Aaron is. He is the priest, isn't he? Chosen by God or his lineage too. Here he is that there's a lasting remembrance. What do you think I mean by that? Did they throw the rod away? What did he do, Phil? They say that when they took those rods, it said they put them in the testimony in there 
a lot of your people that are a lot smarter than me said that it was actually leaning against the Ark of the Covenant or maybe inside, but we know there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. We're told that in Hebrews, aren't we? The tablets of stone, what else? Manna and Aaron's rod that budded. So this was remembrance. When I put the branch over here, who do you think I'm referring to? Christ. He is, we'll look at verses that he's considered the branch. What does that mean? Does it mean he's just a stick? He'll do what? The chosen one. The root of who? Jesse, right? So at the same time when we look at the branch, in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, 20 through 23, what is that chapter known for? It's the resurrection, isn't it? It's an issue that says Jesus was the first fruits, wasn't he? And we see him referred to as a branch. In Philippians 2 and 9, it's a name above all names. He was distinguished from the tribe of Judah, and he was king of kings, lord of lords in 1 Timothy 6, and I think it's 15. I forgot to put it up there. So this issue of Aaron's rod, we have a branch that that signifies the importance of Aaron's rod through Christ. We know that the Father loves the Son, that he was chosen for this, and the importance of him being chosen. We know that in Hebrews, that when you study Hebrews, the basic tenor of Hebrews is Christ is what? Better, isn't he? And meaning the better of the priesthood, even though he came from the tribe of Judah, he was going to be a priest forever, wasn't he? And with that being a priest forever, there's there's an issue compared to Aaron. When we're looking at Aaron and the rod that buds, that's a a live stick that Aaron got, that God chose him. And it said it shows him and his generation. But what's going to happen to Aaron compared to Christ? He's going to die. And when you turn 50 years old, what happens? You quit. Well, you retire, I guess is the best way to say it, wouldn't it? But these are not everlasting. These are men and women, not women, but like you and I, that have mortality, don't we? So we have that branch that's alive for us and it's important to know that we have an advocate with the Father and here it is, a priest forever, that makes who? Makes intercession for who? You and I, doesn't he? Just like Aaron did for those people. Also, what do we have up here that's written across here? Does it say, remember it once a year? It says, do this in remembrance, doesn't it? 
something that we need to remember. Well, it have a lasting mem- a remembrance with his rod, just like we have a remembrance of Christ every time we do the Lord's Supper, isn't it? And basically, as we look from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's a story about who? The Messiah, isn't it? A Messiah that would come through the root of Jesse and become that everlasting priest. Any questions that you want to over here, Phil? I'd just like to add that, uh, you know, you said that uh, Christ is uh, like the Levite, the priest, and only he lives forever. But even more than that, uh, the Levite priest, he had to offer uh, the, the sacrifice on his own behalf as well as for the people, whereas uh, Christ does not because he's perfect. And so he, he makes the perfect priest because he doesn't have to. Uh, offer a sacrifice for on his own behalf. Uh, it's just it's a one-time us. sacrifice. It's for and for it's for us. Yep. And 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 yeah, and and that's like you say the the whole point of Hebrews, pointing out his superiority to everything, the angels, the the, the priests, and so on. Yeah, Moses and everybody. Yes. Good point. Anybody else? With that sacrifice. We still have this high priest after the order of, remember it says in Psalms, just as it says in Hebrews, after the order of Melchizedek. So here is an important analogy. When you look at this, I had put in there in your, in your book that God provides an escape through his chosen one. His chosen one in, in what we're studying tonight was Aaron. He chose Aaron's rod. He chose Aaron to be that leader, that priest, to make that sacrifice. At the same time, we just talked about it. God sent his son. He chose him, didn't he? You and I didn't choose him, did we? Man didn't choose Aaron. God chose Aaron, didn't he? Man didn't have anything to do with it because they put those rods in the tabernacle and his budded. The Lord did that. The Lord chose his son. His son to be that perfect sacrifice like Phil was talking about. When you look at number 17 and 5 and it says, It shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom and I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. You know, sometimes I read this verse and and think about it in numbers. You almost feel like God's a a little bit tired of this, isn't he? Because how many times has he said, just back away, we'll get rid of all of them and start over, doesn't he? But here they murmur about stuff that really is wasting time, isn't it? We already know Moses is in charge. He led them out. We already know Aaron is the chosen family, his lineage and everything. So now he's saying, 
well, let's get this over with. Let's get it done. Let's find out who's going to be in charge and what they're going to be in charge of. When you go over to number 17, if you'll turn to number 17, In number 17 in verse 8, it says, Now it came to pass on the next day, remember we've already said up here in verse 5 that he's going to take care of the murmuring. And now uh, Moses has placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle. In verse 8, Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted, put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. Why would they, why would the Holy Spirit put that kind of detail in here that it does, you know, it sprouted, put forth buds, blossoms, and almonds? Yes, sir. That's a process that should have taken an extended period of time. It happened overnight. So it just proves it to be a miracle. Did everybody hear what he said? It's a process that doesn't just take overnight because it's bloomed, it's processed. One of the interesting parts that when you look at at the word almond, it's called an awakening one. And we'll turn to Exodus 25 in just a second, but Eric's exactly right. It's a process of the plant, isn't it? That it's going to have to go through. Now, the interesting thing about the almond is that these particular plants bloom early in that area is what what most of what I've read. So that's why they call it an awakening because they're kind of the first fruits. If you look at Exodus 25 and verse 33, it's interesting how the Lord uses in different places this almond. Exodus 25 and verse 33. We're, we're talking about starting in, 30, in verse 31 of Exodus um, 25 about the gold lampstand, and I'm just skipping down to 33. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with the ornamental knob and flower. So this almond plant is not brand new, is it? I've, I've read over that many times and not even put it together how important the almond was and considering a branch. Any comments? In Jeremiah 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. 
Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform. It's an interesting concept here that when we look at this almond and, and, uh, and think about it, in, in this particular verse, it's just like what I showed you before, the Hebrew word, but there's an interesting part that part of this root is in the word hasten that's very close to the same word. And when you see this, of course, the Lord means Judah at the time because it's Jeremiah. But when you look at Ungers, it says the almond was chosen to symbolize God's haste in fulfilling his promises. Isn't it interesting how all this comes together? Just over a branch, just over a blossom, a bud, an almond. Maybe that's why almonds are so good for us, right? I don't know. Any questions about this? In Psalm 110 and verse 2, it says, The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Who is this rod of your strength? Christ, isn't it? Here is, here is Christ that has said in John, I am the bread, hasn't he? I, I'm the one. You, in order to go to God, you have to go through who? Me, through Christ. Not only the bread, but here he is the rod. We've seen him as a branch, and we'll see more as we go into future lessons. When we think of the Lord and we know that he's referred to as a branch, from the root of Jesse, we, we see the importance of God in his whole story of setting up the Messiah for us to understand that throughout all these books, the Messiah is referred to, isn't he? When you go to Zechariah 6 and verse 12, it says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Just as the Lord chose Aaron's rod, he chose Christ to come to this earth, didn't he? And with that choosing, it was the perfect, as as Phil says, the perfect Savior, the perfect person without sin, loved by God, hated by the people, right? The same thing happened to Aaron, didn't it? That's why they murmured against him. That here, even though he was chosen, they would still do what? Murmur against him and murmur against the leadership. Did Jesus have it easy in basically his three years of his ministry? Not at all, did he? You know, when when they murmured against him, he knew what was happening. 
He knew what they were thinking, didn't he? He knew that their heart wasn't right. And here, in, in this issue with the rod, the importance of, of Jesus coming and being that branch for you and I. Any issues about that? Yes, sir. Definitely not an issue, uh, just a comment. Um, I meant that, I'm sorry. The parallel, I think, between Aaron and Jesus is so strong in this passage, even preceding, you know, the budding of the rod where you see Aaron is rejected as the priest and God says, back up, I'm going to kill all of them because of what they've done. And you see Aaron grabs his censer, runs in, makes atonement for the people that have rejected him. And verse um, 48 of chapter 16, he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. I mean, it's about as messianic a verse as you can get, um, that even though he was rejected, he runs in, makes atonement, and stops the disaster. After all the murmuring. Right. <laughs> and then you kind of see him glorified in a sense. He's honored. His, his rod buds, I think, to show that they won't forget what he did for them. After they had rejected him, he, God emphasizes, I picked who I picked, it's still him, and remember that he saved you from what you did. That's a great point because between Korah's group and the priests and then Aaron stopping the plague, over 14,000 people died. And you're exactly right. Who is that person that stops that spiritual death for us? It's Christ, isn't it? Great point. Anything else? Oh, okay. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. It never really occurred to me, and maybe you said this, and I missed it. This broad budding is confirming the word. This is just like a New Testament miracle, confirming the word of a, of someone who's speaking on behalf of God. Um, the people were scared to death when they saw the rod budded because they realized all of a sudden he's telling the truth. This is right. It's a confirmation. Just, so this is another example of, of God being consistent from the old law to the new law. He used miracles to confirm his word. That is a great point that here were the miracles on the, on the front end, the Old Testament, and here they are wandering through the wilderness, and it's exactly like you said. The Lord said he was going to do it, and he said whoever's right he chose what was going to happen. That's going to be the chosen one. It's the almond it's going to be the blossom, the bud. And you're right, it's, it's like confirming the word. It's, it's showing the deity. And it kind of goes to the deity of Christ, doesn't it? The same way, which we'll talk about in a second. Great point. Anybody else? Did I miss anybody? You know, when... As we're talking about these different things, I put in here, God provides an escape through the risen one. And it, it's just like was said. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into there, and I read this before, and it budded, brought buds, blossoms, and yielded almonds. It was vitally important to make sure that they understood, just like was said, the importance of God choosing, wasn't it? and choosing who would be in charge. And I still think, you know, we give a hard time to the Pharisees in the New Testament. 
we got to give a hard time to these children of Israel because they're a stubborn group, aren't they? They, they argue with who's running the show. They don't like the way the show's run. And we'll, we'll have other lessons showing that. But with this, you've got to look, and it says in, in Exodus 40 and verse 15, you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood through what? Through their generations. And we have the rubber stamp in Hebrews that says what? Christ is our everlasting priest, isn't he? To always make intercession for us. So here's an issue that says it's obvious that the people can't pick up on it. They don't want to go along with what's happening and who's the boss, even though the Lord has already said, I'm going to give you this land. Let's go. They murmur about everything. As we talked before, and as David said, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. When you look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we just said about the resurrection and the importance of it. We know, we know from history, we know from biblically, we know from other outside sources that Jesus died. There's not, many people are not going to argue. He died just like the scripture said for our sins. We, we know he was buried. He rose on the third day according to the scriptures. Just like Aaron's rod did. It wasn't the third day, but it rose, didn't it? With the buds and stuff. We know that Going farther in this, seen by Cephas, the 12, the 500 brethren, James and Paul. And if he's not risen, then what's our issue here? Why are we here tonight? Um, I put up here empty faith and empty preaching based on the verses. And it means also we don't have any hope, do we? If, if we don't have that blossoming rod, that branch, you and I have, have no hope. We might as well uh, just send Carrie a uh, text and say, we're not going to be there. Because it wouldn't matter, would it? And those that have perished before in Christ are what? They're gone. Any comments? I won't say issues anymore. Alan caught me on that. Well, since we're getting close, God provides an escape through the perfect one. We know, and we've already discussed most of this tonight, about the fact that Christ uh, is the perfect one. And it says in 1 John 3, 5, and, he, as, and you know that he was made known or manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is What? No sin. So we have this perfect sacrifice. We have this perfect leader. And uh, in Hebrews, as we just said, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. It's interesting that it says fitting. I remember before we moved here that, that David did a lesson on the word fitting. 
and brought this up that Christ fit for what we needed, didn't he? And without him, we'd be lost. Any questions? Comments? Overriding issues? I guess I I let you get through three minutes early. Thank you for your comments and your time.